Welcome to Ubu Dub, and we'll start the show as every show's going to start with soundcheck. should have got the casual listeners out the way and we're very excited to bring you the first episode of the Ubu Dub podcast where we're going to be speaking to the one and only Mr. David Thomas about the new album due out on the 12th of July, The Long Goodbye. One thing that's noticeable as soon as you hear the album is that it seems to be very much more synth-based and we find out from the press release that you actually wrote this album yourself in the studio alone we wouldn't have originally had you down as a synth guy i don't know i've worked with them over the years and i naturally have an affinity for them i do a lot of editing of synths in perubu so i've collected some machines and gathered them all together in the studio and off we went um in the middle of the uh, the Monkey Net tour in November of 2017, I was hospitalized with a serious illness. According to the doctor's hours from death, it was pretty touch and go, I guess. Got home, started some treatment for the condition, but I was facing the real possibility that I was done, that I would not be able to carry on with music and that my life was in danger, as it were. And this was unsatisfying. I had began to develop some ideas for the next album, which was the notion of moving musicians away from playing musical part instead of playing the song. So I was unwilling to give up. I was going to finish Perubu. I decided that I was going to finish the whole thing off, that I was going to wrap it up, tie all the loose ends together. So I started. I'd crawl out of the bed, crawl along the walls to my studio and work all day and deep into the night and everybody was saying you gotta you gotta get rest you gotta but I was working and I wrote one song and I thought okay I can do it within a month the album was done completely recorded vocals music everything I worked like a like a maniac I knew that to get what I wanted I had to do it myself it was all in my head and I didn't have time to go through the Ubu process. Perubu, like most bands, is, you know, there's a country song that says, uh, give me 40 acres and I'll turn this rig around. Uh, the super tankers out on the high seas take 50 miles to turn around. I didn't have that kind of time. Within a month, it was done. I, I, I was a bit nervous about it. I sent it to our European sound man, Nadan, he wrote back immediately and said, this is brilliant, don't do anything, put it out. So I proceeded from there. 
I heard that first incarnation and it was extraordinary. And still, you managed to get Dids, a.k.a. Gagarin, a.k.a. Graham Dowdle, and Robert Wheeler adding yet more synths onto it, and it's become what it is now. I mean, how do you go about taking music that other people had said was perfect? Well, I, what I, one of the things that I wanted to accomplish was that I wanted to make it a pair Ubu record. At, at that point, you know, I was questioning it. I was thinking, well, this is a good record, but is it a pair Ubu record? It's all me. So I wanted it to be a pair Ubu record, but this was fitting in anyway with my overall plan, which was to get musicians away from perceiving what they do with a song in terms of a part. So I went to, I, I said to everybody, look, this thing is done. It doesn't need you. You don't have to do anything. So what I want you to do is find the essence of what this song needs or find the essence of what you can add. And if it's 20 seconds, brilliant, wonderful. If it's, if it's, if it's two minutes, brilliant, wonderful. But I want the essence. I don't want to part. And I have to say, everybody did a brilliant job. Everybody took it on board and, and produce the goods. I'm immensely proud of them all. Well, we're going to play a little bit of the first track on the album, What I Heard on the Pop Radio right now. And I think people are going to be shocked. I mean, it doesn't really sound like anything you've done before. And to be honest, it doesn't really sound like anything that anyone's ever done before. So here's the beginning of What I Heard on the Pop Radio. Some have described this album as techno, and I think that first snippet of the song that we've just heard might enforce that, but you're not a guy who typically embraces genres. How would you describe this album? When it's time for me to do an album, I sit and I listen to pop radio for six months, nonstop. I, w I wake up to it, I go to sleep to it, I spend all day listening to it. 
sometimes it becomes a real a real chore to get through the day like Peribu has always been about adjusting pop music adjusting the past adjusting the future changing reality suggesting alternative realities that's what this is and I guess in a way you know I, I see what they what people mean by techno and, it, and if you heard the original tracks they they are far more tech i mean they're you know it's pretty it's pretty techno i guess i don't you know there's so many genres of techno that i don't i don't well, you know i should i should is- ask i should ask dids i mean dids look dids or keith will come up with some sub genre of the form but uh yeah well, berlin techno has been cited to me berlin by techno. two people oh, all right <laughs> i don't know and then on, on track two, we kind of go perhaps to more familiar territory and we hear some clarinet and it's a slower, more dark and brooding song, if that's possible. Um, so Marlowe seems to be very personal, is it? This first song I completed and that convinced me that uh, I could do this, that it was going to work. I can't say one song is going to be more personal than than any of the others. I love Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler has been one of the biggest influences. The noir voice is something that I return to in Perubu over and over and over and over again. Perubu started with a noir song, and I thought, okay, if this is the wrap-up, well, we're, we're going noir. And of course, there's the whole connection between the album and the Raymond Chandler novel, this album is about betrayal. It's about political betrayal, social betrayal, personal betrayal, existential betrayal. The heart and the senses, religions and culture betray. To be clear, the album is not about the Raymond Chandler novel. It's like so often in Perubu, we take a take elements of popular culture, detritus of popular culture, a song, a film, a saying, a notion, and we use that as background, as contrast, to, to fill in, to uh, add texture to the stories that that we are assembling. We've covered the synths, but there is also a plethora of percussion in the form of um, drum programs, drums, uh, percussion from uh, Peter Ole Jorgensen. What made you decide to bring Peter in on it? Peter is somebody that I've, I've worked with over the years. He's a Danish drummer, percussionist, works mostly in theater, dance, he and I are, in ways, I think, soulmates. I don't know. I mean, we 
He's the one I I I, I wrote the, the principally was behind um, the Bay City album, and that and the Bay City album is is an essential album. I mean, it's been massively, largely, criminally overlooked, but in terms of my work, it stands out as essential to understanding a lot of what I I've done since. But anyway, I. I, I knew that Peter was the right drummer to use when it came to the drums. There's a lot of there's a number of drum programs on the on the not so many because they got it weeded out a bit. But I had to do drum programming, you know, as I was writing the songs. So I program drums for everything, you know, which usually drives people nuts because I don't pay attention things like structure and form. But if I think something should be three beats and instead of four or three and a half. Um, with a, a coda, you know, I just do it. I work organically. You know, one of the one of the things I discovered by listening to pop music was very gratifying because for some time I've believed drums are fundamentally ornamental. If you listen to classical music, the drums are ornamental. They're there as sound enhancement. They're like synthesizers or something. And in pop music, modern pop music, the drums are ornamental. I was excited by that when I was listening to the pop radio. Well, I've got to tell you, and I don't know whether you'll like this, but two people who've heard the album for the first time, when it when it first starts, they're like, what, what, what's he doing that for? What, what, what's, where did that go? And it takes people a little while to bed in and realize as I have, that it makes perfect sense once you just let everything you knew go. Well, it may, it's organic. It's organic logic. It's it's not the logic of numbers. You know, numbers do not rule my life. All through Perubu, there's weird things that happen on, on and on and on. And people say, well, didn't you under know that that song was slowing down? Didn't you know that that song was speeding up? You know, they say, yeah, we're not stupid. We thought it sounded good. You know, it was supposed to be that way. I structure the songs according to the meaning. Yeah, it, 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 at times you're, you're sitting there wondering. I mean, there is one on the pop pop radio. That whole opening thing makes no sense at all. Now, if you if you study it, if you sit there and have have to study it to figure it out, it it's just insane. But the listener isn't concerned with that. The listener's just sitting there taking it in. And I think one of the greatest strengths I have as a musician is that I listen. I, I listen intently. I listen as a stranger to the music would listen. And I perceive what the music is doing emotionally and visually and sonically. And I understand it. I can see how it's all supposed to fit together. I see patterns. That's one of my great strengths is that for me, everything is a pattern. If something breaks the pattern, then then I fix that, you know, and this has caused trouble endlessly with musicians until they learn to trust me. And I'll just tell them that doesn't fit. What you're doing doesn't fit or you're playing exactly the same part as the trumpet player. Well, they say, but we're not. We're in different we're in different chords and different tempos. And I said, nope, you're playing exactly the same thing. And they they go home talking to each other. You know, David's insane. He's crazy. What the hell is he talking about? And they come back the next day and say, you're right. You know, we, we were playing the same thing. Because most musicians hear parts. 
They interpret things in parts, and they know that this is this is the A note, and this is the G note, and and on and on and on. But that all that stuff is irrelevant. So you've mentioned uh, recurring patterns, and Bay City is something that is recurring a lot in this album. Um, it's in the lyrics. It's almost definitive in the artwork. So, what's Bay City? Where is it? Bay City is the end of the road for Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe. Uh, Bay City is the the nexus of all that is corrupt and vile in the world. Most detectives uh, have nemesis, as like Sherlock Holmes had Moriarty. For Raymond Chandler and Philip Marlowe, the nemesis was a location, was a, was a geography. It was a social construct. It was a town called Bay City, you know, where the cops are all bent. All, every politician is on the take, and the criminals run everything. Bay City is and always has been the end of the road. Every traveler must come to a separate piece or be swallowed up. Bay City has always been my nemesis. In the jet-fueled dawn of a runway town, the sun is the spectacular all put upon the ground. Yesterday haunts all your tomorrows. Picking cigarettes at the sun. One more spark ought to see it done. Eucalyptus flames flickering through the streetcar names. Block after block. in the pot The clock on the wall is about to drop Flicking cigarettes at the sun um, sent me off to Google search again, as much of what you say does. And there was a word in there that I had to Google, Gotterdammerung, Los Angeles. So explain that, because if I don't know, I'm hoping I'm not the only person in the world who didn't know the relevance of it. Well, it's it's Wagnerian. It's the twilight of the gods. L.A. is the twilight of the gods. And so you're breaking the mold, really, of what people say when they say that CDs are dead and that the CD package is coming out with a live album that saw Chris Cutler come in on on drums and percussion. Um, how was it taking out this album before it had been even completed in the studio and playing it to an audience who were expecting probably the classics? Well, it was scary. It was insane. It's the sort of thing that only Perubu will do. We'd already rewritten and 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 uh what's the word uh the word i was trying to remember was deconstruct the album before it was finished we had it we had a show booked as the moon unit 
I thought, well, we'll just, you know, we'll do our usual improvised show and maybe, you know, hey, let's just see if we can work up three of the songs to do. So I asked Dids and Keith Molinay to get together. They got together on a Sunday afternoon. Dids called me the next day and said, well, we can do everything. We can do the entire album. And I said, I want you to be really careful about what you say to me right now. You're saying that we can do the entire album in front of an audience. Are you saying that? He said, yes. I said, okay, we're going to do it. We had one rehearsal day, which was Thursday, and uh, we got together and rehearsed it. And At that point, I still had the option of doing a, a usual show. We have lots of improvisation on various levels. But it all seemed to hang together. I mean, there was trouble places here and there, as one would expect. But, you know, it sounded pretty good. So I'm very pleased that we can put it on the record because you have the record. I've always said to people, there is a world of difference between recording a song and playing it live. They're unrelated. Live, Perubu has always been a rock band. We, we drive at things, we push things. But when you record... You record so that you can listen to a piece of music over and over for years. So that I'm always hoping that I've got a lot of layers to listen to. And I know myself that I hear things six months later that I didn't know were there. Now, of all the people who would know what's on a record, I know because I spent endless amounts of time on the smallest, almost insignificant sound and I know exactly where it is. I place it exactly the way it's supposed to be. And it's meant to show up at some point. Because when you're listening, you sometimes you just listen to the drums. And sometimes you listen to the voice. And sometimes you listen to this, that, or the other. And a recording should have depth. So that at some point, when you're not paying attention, you hear an entirely unexpected line of of sound or music, a theme that you'd never encountered before. And something happens when you're live. I mean, no disrespect, but <clears throat> four old guys getting up onto the stage, the the lead man sitting down on a chair, and then you take that with a story that Dan told me about that Montreux gig that is on the CD where the uh, in-house sound guy was just recreating the Meg Ryan scene, having an orgasm, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and screaming at the stage. I mean, it's electric. And does that touch you at all? Do you get feedback from that? No, <laughs> you know, we're, we're busy doing something else. We don't, I, you know, I'm not going to be hearing any of that sort of stuff. I, you know, as the song is finishing, I'm working my mind on the next song and I'm getting ready. I, you know, what was, what was very interesting to us, though, was that we, we, did, we finished the sound check and two or three of the stagehands were wandering around humming the songs. You know, they were singing the songs that, we had, that they had never heard before that we just ran through on stage. And at that point, uh, we began to think, well, this is going to work. In complete contrast it would seem to Bay City as a couple of songs Lovely Day and Skid Row on Sea which don't seem 
quite so much the destination you'd want to end well, up they, with. They, but that's what they, that's what those two songs are about. They're the destination. This town is rotten to the core and the lady Skid Row on Sea repeats over and over, this town is, I can't remember, <laughs> this town rotten is rotten to the core. You know, the lady upstairs is snoring, and this town is rotten to the core. Lovely Day is a very subtle song. As you go through the song, everything in the song is wrong. The wind farm offshore is chopping up seagulls and lonely people walking up and down the weekend father with his kid out for a stroll and almost every line in there is is a contrast with the the notion that it's a lovely day by the sea yeah it's a lovely day by the sea in bay city but what does that mean i have never seen the musicians or you so excited about a new album as you are with this i mean it, it's obviously they're all they've all been exciting because they're coming out and everything but this one has touched something in people that have taken part that hasn't been touched before is this the album that you've wanted to write when you first went into the studio back in in january is this it now is this the definitive that you were aiming for. Give me 40 acres and I'll turn this rig around, as I said before. I don't have 40 acres of time. I worked like a demon, like a demon, to write it and to finish it. As far as I'm concerned, it's near perfect. I, I hate to say that sort of thing because I've always said, if I do the perfect record, I'll quit. But everybody, everybody got in on the concept of producing the essence of something as opposed to thinking about a part and how their part will do this or will do that. That's very gratifying because that's the way I want the band to go, that you perceive a song as a slice of space-time that is unique and discreet in and of itself. It, it, it operates to its own laws and rules. It's populated by people who have stories that operate according to the metaphysics of the, of the slice of time-space. That's how it seems to me you should work with music. Now, I'm a great admirer of people who compose and who assemble parts that are just beautiful and or moving or powerful or whatever. I think that's a, a great talent and a great ambition and goal and accomplishment. But I'm not good enough to do that. My talent lies elsewhere. So near perfect, that means this isn't goodbye then? Uh, goodbye is a, is a big concept. Um, no, I don't see it as the ultimate end. I see it as the end of a way of doing Perubu. Perubu has a history of, from time to time, the whole thing getting torn up and re reconfigured. So to me, this is just another phase of that long history. Yeah, we, we proceed along a path until we think, okay, we need to change this. We need to go somewhere else. We can do this. If you can do something 
Why keep doing it? My belief is always that you should do the things that you can't do, and you master the things that you can't do, and then you move on from that. So no, this isn't the end of Perubu. It's the end of a way of Perubu, and it's the beginning of a new way of Perubu. My, one of my great joys is just heading across country on back roads. You get to, a, to the end of a road, and you go, well... North is that way, and that means this way should be east, and I'll keep going east. You eventually end up somewhere. You can choose whether or not you want to keep this in, but that story you told me about when you got on your bicycle and decided you were going to cycle to the Mississippi, mm-hmm. I, I still think about that story, and it kind of gives me disappointing chills. Do you want to share? My father had uh, done a bicycle trip, you know, when he was a younger man out to Iowa. And um, I had graduated from high school a year early. I found out that I could, if I took a course over the summer, me and my buddy, we could get out. We didn't have to do the senior year. <laughs> we sat there and, what do you mean? We can we can be done with this thing after two months? And they said, yeah. And they said, but don't you want to go to graduation? We said, hell no. So I did that, and um, then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a journey across the country. And, you know, and everybody said, well, you, you got to warm up to it. you got to get used to it and all that stuff. And I said, ah, nah, I don't need to do it. There's a picture of me in the local newspaper of standing by my bicycle as I was setting out. I had a sleeping bag and a little tent piled on the back of the bicycle, and I just set out and the first day I did, I don't know, maybe 80 miles, 100 miles, I can't remember. My butt was, you know, was utterly sore and I was exhausted. But I thought, well, all right, you know, and I kept going through Indiana, you know, hugging the side of the road as semi-trucks barreled past you and the wind tunnel sucked you along, and which was terrifying at times. Then I finally got out to the Mississippi, to the Mississippi. The Mississippi was actually over a ridge. There was just one last ridge, and I thought to myself, "Well, I've made it. This is, you know, this is close enough. I don't have to actually go up the ridge and sit there on my bicycle and look at the Mississippi. I mean, I've I've done it. I've effectively done it. So, I'm turning around and going home. You know, and that's pretty typical of me." But that is just so untypical of maybe 99.99% of the population that you'd have this aim and then you'd be like within spitting dimage and yeah, close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. I've seen the Mississippi. Communex wanted me to note that it's about 500 miles to the Mississippi from Cleveland. Really don't like to have something completely planned out and done. I'm much happier. Having getting to 70% done and then leave the last 30% to inspiration or to improvisation or to just making it up as I go along. And I get a lot of slop in what I do because I'm making it up to go along. But on the other hand, audiences experience something with Peruba they don't get from other people. They experience the Big Bang moment where something appears from nothing. And you don't get that. You don't get that a lot of places. It is the most exciting thing that a musician experiences. And it's probably the most terrifying thing that an audience experiences. All right, so 
there's we're going to play out now. If there was one track, I know you hate these kind of questions, but if there was one track you were going to say to somebody, this is what you listen to to know what the album's about, which one would it be? Uh, well, I'm tempted to say. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this open. I'm tempted to say who stole the signpost, but there's two songs that the album revolves on. One is the world as we can know it. There's ghosts and windows, voices muffled through the walls, which to me basically describes our lives, our experiences. Um, there's fortunate son, which is very intimate to me. It's very personal. The story in The Fortunate Son about the, the Waffle House and the diner and the jukebox, all that is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I was sitting there looking out the window, thinking about America, crying, just crying, tears rolling down my cheeks. And this guy, this, the man played the songs on the jukebox. So I don't know. you got three choices. Thank you, David. Just keep going on down the road. Yep. I came out here to find Harry Parch. There will be more news about the new album on our social media. If you don't know where to find it, then it's not hard. Just Google Perubu, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you want, and um, you'll get hold of us. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.